The Old Testament lesson comes to us from Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6 and 14 through 16. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will, not, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, or the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With life long, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. The gospel lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Beside all this, between you and us is a great chasm which has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to, to here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. And he said, then, Father, I beg you, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On his way to Jerusalem, that's where Jesus is headed, on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for what he knows is going to happen. He's going to be arrested. He'll, he'll die. He'll rise. He will minister, but he will leave. He will be gone. And he's preparing them and us for future ministry. Just like in the text last week, Jesus prepares his disciples for the future. And he tells them last week about a story about a worldly boss who commends a worldly manager for using worldly wisdom. But the reason Jesus uses that is because the Pharisees are not far away. They're eavesdropping on the conversation and on the teachings. They're, they're listening carefully to what Jesus is saying, even though Jesus isn't talking directly to them. They're listening. And the Pharisees interrupt him. Verses 14 and 15, just before the ones we read this morning, tell us that the Pharisees heard Jesus' words, but they were lovers of money. So they ridiculed, they mocked or derided. Echomikizo is the word. They looked down their noses at him in an arrogant, pious attitude. And so Jesus uses that as an opportunity to teach his disciples on how to deal with enemies by giving them a story to the Pharisees to answer their mockery of Jesus regarding what he was teaching. And he tells an interesting story. He tells an interesting story about two lives two deaths, and two hereafters. Two people who lived and died were judged by God. And again, it was meant to answer the Pharisees who were lovers of money and sneered at what Jesus had to say. Jesus launched into an analogy that was a parabolic account. A man named Lazarus. Now, it's not the same Lazarus that you and I know from the Mary and Martha fame. No, it's a different Lazarus altogether, but it was a common name. And so Jesus mentions a rich man and a man named Lazarus. Now, we don't know for certain who this rich man was, but we can presume that he's a Jewish man and a very rich Jewish man who is very wealthy and probably a Pharisee. Why is that important? Because the Pharisees were lovers of money. And the Pharisees had a faith fight theology that basically said, like the modern false theology and doctrine of the prosperity gospel, where this theology says that if you have a lot of money, it's indirect proof that God has blessed your life, that it's evidence of God's blessing is that you're very wealthy. So a certain rich man, they would immediately associate him with, well, God has blessed him. This is a good man. This is a godly man. Because God 
has blessed him with finances. On the other hand, somebody who's a beggar in many circles of ancient Judaism was considered cursed by God. The very opposite, for something has happened in his life that has caused him to be in this condition, perhaps and probably some infraction, some, some sin that's taken place, that God, in an immediate cause and effect relationship, is cursing him. So that's how Jesus has set up the story. And that would be the thought processes of the minds of his audience, especially the Pharisees. And notice it, a certain beggar named Lazarus. He's full of sores. And he just lays at the gate. So we know that he's poor. And he's probably paralyzed. And that's why he has sores. He's been lying on this cot. And somebody lying on a bed or a cot for a long period of time, skin touching those things, produces bed sores. He was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So Jesus paints a pretty picturesque picture here. Enough to for the people to say, gross. That was gross. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side he was next to Abraham. Now, the rich man also died and was buried. Now, Jesus pauses just before he tells you where the rich guy is. It's just that he tells you the poor guy died. The poor guy died, and he's carried up to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. The, other, the rich guy, on the other hand, if we're to look at the Greek, would, we would find a deviation between a good number of the Bible translations of the word basanos. It's a noun, feminine, plural, dative, and being only tormented. He is being in torments. It's a plural. It's a plural. Not one, but several torments in the afterlife. Now, in Hades, or hell, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And Lazarus at his side. Okay, first of all, notice how easily Jesus passes from one world into the next. He can describe things that go on in this life, in this world, but he can just as easily be in touch and describe the next world, the hereafter. And what happens when a person dies? You and I don't have that benefit. You and I cannot peer beyond the veil. That's why if you wonder about life after death, go to the source. Go to the source. The one who's been this life, who's died and has risen, is coming back from heaven. He is the authority. He and he alone can provide accurate and adequate information about what happens when a person dies. Well, this rich guy, this rich Jewish guy, finds himself in hell. It's the last place you would think that he would be. And certainly no Pharisee would think a rich man like this would be in hell, nonetheless in torments. What kind of story is this? Now, I think it's safe to say, completely safe and accurate to say, that since Jesus is answering the Pharisees, who, number one, believed in the afterlife, remember, Sadducees did not believe 
in heaven, hell, the afterlife, angels, the supernatural, but the Pharisees did. So they're listening, and they track the hereafter, but the rich man, he represents the Pharisees, the lovers of money, and very wealthy. And the last place any Pharisee would think he would be was in hell. So again, it's, it's a shock. Before we go on, I just want to point out something that's obvious, sometimes missed. Just looking at the story disproves the doctrine of something that we call soul sleep, or defined as purgatory. There is no consciousness after you die until the resurrection. That's what purgatory says. Your soul goes to sleep. According to Jesus, once you die, you are very much aware, you are very conscious, and you are completely cognizant of your surroundings. And you can feel either pleasure, reward, or pain in the afterlife. And that's embedded in the story as well. So the beggar died. He was carried up by the angels to Abraham's side. And this would be, in their minds, the place of heaven. Every Jewish person hoped that there would be a great banquet in which the future kingdom would come and they would be able to sit next to Father Abraham. To sit next to him would be an honor. But Jesus' Jesus' words, Jesus' words throw the Pharisees for a loop. He's in torments in Hades or Sheol. In the Old Testament tradition, the souls of the departed went to Sheol. Often in the Old Testament, both the good and the bad, and the righteous and the unrighteous, the believing and the non-believing, were all in this place called the grave or Sheol. By the time we get to the New Testament, and especially in the story, now Hades is the place where the unrighteous departed souls stay. And this guy is in it. And he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony in these flames. In early Jewish tradition... It was said that you went to this place and you went through the refiner's fire. That your soul was burned and all the bad things were burned. And after that all took place, then and only then were you able to go to heaven. But if you were really bad, the fires of hell could not cleanse you. I want you to see that something else that's pretty obvious in the story. There's no indication that the rich man did anything heinous. No heinous crime was committed. There's no record of it. He was just a rich guy who thought he'd end up in heaven. He died and he's in hell now. And he's in torments. There's a lot of people that think that, that think that, that all I have to do to get to heaven is just die. If I just live a relatively good life and I I do my best and I do good deeds, I have, have a place in heaven. In other words, you get to heaven, they would say, by what you do. 
by your good works, by your good deeds. Sometimes you think, well, hell is only reserved for somebody who's done bad things. Like Hitler. He's in hell like others like him. But there's no indication that this guy, this rich guy, did anything like that. And yet, he's in Sheol. Again, it's a big shock. It's a big surprise to those who are listening. But Abraham said, son, remember, remember. But in your lifetime, you received your good things. And likewise... Lazarus, the bad things. And now he is being comforted. And you are being tormented. Beside all this, between us and you is a great gulf, great schism, fixed so that those who want to pass from here to there cannot. Nor can those pass to us. So there is no passageway in eternity where a person can go from hell to heaven or from heaven to hell. Or limbo. These are words that are made up. They're not biblical at all. Limbo is, is it's, it's not biblical. There's no passageway. Once you are where you're supposed to be, you are there. The gulf is fixed and you cannot pass from one place to the other. And Jesus said, this is what happens when you die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, so if you are to die tonight, and I don't want you to die tonight. I'm hoping that you don't die tonight. I, don't want, I want you to be alive today. I want you to be with us and have a great life. A fruitful life ahead of you. But, but if you were to die tonight, your, your body would eventually be put in the ground or in the columbarium and turned to dust. But immediately, immediately when you die, your spirit, your soul, the real you would go into the presence of the Lord. You'd be absent from your body, which would go into the earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Your spirit would be in the presence of the Lord. You would be conscious. You would be aware. You would be rewarded and experience great bliss, great blessing. So heaven is real and hell is real. And Jesus spoke freely about both heaven and hell. I heard a story about a, a man driving a car. He got into an accident. He hit a pole. A big sign, hit, hit it, boom, hit a big sign. It was a Shell gas station. He hit it, and he, and he was rendered unconscious. Well, when he woke up, he, he looked up, and he looked outside at the sign. Now, after he hit it, the, the jarring of the vehicle hit the sign and knocked the S off. So he was shocked, and he rubbed his eyes, and all he could see is hell, open 24 hours. That would be enough to change your life. I believe that if you're an unbeliever who has died, could return today, they would preach the gospel. I am absolutely convinced. Charles Darwin, if he was here today, he would say, don't listen to what I said. Don't read my book. Don't listen to what I said. You need to believe in Christ. If John Lennon were here, he wouldn't say, imagine there is no heaven. 
he'd say, I don't have to imagine. I know that there is. Don't make the same mistake that I made. But if one goes from the dead, they'll repent. I'm picturing this fair, these Pharisees listening very carefully because this will happen to them. One will rise from the dead, but they won't believe the resurrection of the one talking after he dies. Jesus himself will not be enough to persuade them to believe. Somebody once said that, that a person's life consists of 20 years of their mother asking them where they're going, 40 years of their spouse asking where they've been, and an hour at their funeral where everybody sits around wondering where they went. Sadly, that's true. That's true for so many folks. Victorian poet Christina Rossetti wrote a short poem that's been used on many tombstones over the years. Pause, stranger, as you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Pretty interesting gravestone. Then on a tombstone in Indiana, someone came by, saw that, read it that, and wrote on a little plaque and placed it out the grave that says, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. So today's text is a good story because we know which way the two men went. And this was an absolute shock as Jesus answered the Pharisees, whom it says were lovers of money. And they derided Jesus for what he had told his disciples. Jesus tells the story for their benefit and for ours. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and of course, on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.